You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 38. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-hosts today are Pam Barnhill and Misty Winkler. Pam is a speaker, podcaster, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and author of the newly released book, Better Together, Strengthen Your Family, Simplify Your Homeschool, and Savor the Subjects That Matter Most. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling and organizing attitudes at Simply Convivial. This episode is sponsored by In Memoriam. After Charlotte Mason died in 1923, the PNAU held a memorial service in her honor, though quite appropriately, it more resembled an educational conference. Those who had spent years observing her life and work warmly described her impact on their own lives and careers. And then these sentiments, some philosophical, some personal, were recorded and compiled into the book In Memoriam. In Memoriam is biography, memoir, philosophical commentary, all rolled up into one. It offers the most intimate look at Charlotte Mason from those who knew and loved her best. If you want to study Charlotte Mason but don't feel like reading philosophy straight up, In Memoriam is the perfect solution. Grab your copy on Amazon. In today's episode, we discuss the power of educational metaphors. Are we using the right images to picture our homeschools? It's an interesting question, and so without further ado, let's get to it. All right, let's start off with our Scalay every day. And uh, Pam, I like yours. Why don't you go first? Okay, so I have not really had a whole lot of Scalay time to myself these days. So I have been Scalaying vicariously through... Oh, nice. Uh, yes, I love this. I think this should become a new thing. But um, <laughs> it's Michelle's Notebooks on Instagram. And it's all one word and it's two L's. So M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-S, Notebooks, all one word. And it's Michelle Sandoval. She does the coolest notebook pages. Like you, sh- you guys should jump on and look at them. They're amazing, aren't they? Oh though? yes, I just looked it up and like, oh yes, I do know who that is. Yes, and so I stumbled across her work a few weeks ago and started following. Immediately started following her account, and I just love them. I want, I want her to come teach classes or something, and let me, let me notebook. Oh, along that'd be fun. With her. Or something, but she had like uh, one day she did a great little video on how to get how to trace things into your notebook, and so she just colored the back with a pencil to lay the graphite down on the back of the page, and then traced around the front, and it put light little lines in her notebook. I'm like, I could do that to cheat. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I think that's the one that we shared on Scully Sisters. Maybe that's how I found her. That's probably it. But anyway. I've been following along and loving her work. So yes, very inspiring. 
That's awesome. I'll go next because we're saving Misty. She has a real <laughs> school. <laughs> so we're saving her for last. Um, so mine, I haven't been reading so much this week. I've been organizing. Woohoo! Mine is my new Skolé cart. It's bright red, and I'm so proud of it. Ooh. <laughs> so, so, you know, Pam, you have one that's like a teal color or something. Uh-huh, it's a, uh-huh. the three-level metal cart. And I've been longing after those forever, and I kept thinking they'd come back to Costco, and they haven't. And I got money for my birthday, and I thought, what do I really want? And I thought, I want one of those metal carts. So then I went on. Teal doesn't actually match my house at all. And so... I was looking at all the mature colors. There was like beige, black. And then I saw this red one. (laughs) I'm so excited. And it's funny. I went around the house and gathered up all of my books that are in process. Not the ones I pre-read, but like all the ones that I've started and put down because I'm a book starter. And I just thought, I'll just see what I've got going on here. And um, it's actually worse than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm technically currently reading about 30 books, which cracks me up. Because if you guys recall, we got a question about reading multiple books in Cincinnati. (laughs) Like, was it okay? (laughs) Like, I sure hope so. Yeah. (laughs) No, I really hope it's okay because it's really bad. I'm in the process of doing my my mother culture reading list that I put out every year, the mother culture summer reading list. And it's coming out. Well, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be out. So I started thinking, I have so many books that I actually... (laughs) This is so sad, but it's like, I have the bottom shelf are my stiff books and the middle shelf are my moderately easy books and the top shelf are my novels. And I don't read as much fiction just because I'm an irresponsible person if I read too much fiction. And so because of that, on the top shelf, I can have my different notebooks and my pens. Everything can be right there. So I'm trying to build new habits for the summer because next year I'm not going to be pre-reading for anybody because... I don't need to. Yeah, I saw your post. So I thought, well, I need to build new habits because my habits almost entirely are built around pre-reading. So if I'm not doing that, then I might just do nothing. (laughs) It's happened before. So so I bought a cart. Apparently the cart will make me do school A, (laughs) though. But you know, I've been way better about keeping up consistently with my current reads after I gave them a home and a place. And like, I even have a light there and pens there. And I just set Ooh, up light. a little corner. And I was surprised how much it has helped. I mean, probably doubled and maybe tripled my reading time, which doesn't mean <laughs> much. <but laughs> <laughs> More than once I've caught myself where I was like, oh, I was going to read. But then as I was trying to find my reading stuff, I found something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> So I could see how you just have one place to just, when it's your reading time, go and read and everything's there. Mm-hmm. It helps. It looks so neat and tidy. I almost feel like Jennifer McIntosh, but we all know that won't last. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Hey, on Skolé every day, we should share our Skolé places or a little- Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, you have a bag, right? Well, I used to have a bag and so, and then I got my cart- which is in a sad state of disrepair right now. So the cart thing doesn't work forever. I'm just warning you there because mine needs to be revamped. I'm going to use your challenge, I think, to revamp my cart and get myself inspired for the summer as soon as I get get this course finished. Yeah. Entropy. Yes. Entropy always happens. (laughs) It really does. But my bag is now a nature 
I use it, you know, for our non-existent nature study. But all the nature notebooks and the watercolors. Well, if you leave it untouched long enough, it becomes nature. (laughs) 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 Well, you know what? We can have a new hashtag for this project. We can call it Skolay Place. Mm. Sounds fun. Place. Sure. We can still use Skolay every day, too. But I'm just thinking if we're going to share our reading spots. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. Well, give me a give me a few weeks to get mine back together. Sure, sure, sure. Well, the episode's coming out in a few weeks, right? We should probably be after this episode comes out. Yeah. Oh, good point. <laughs> I was going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Brandy, go good ahead point. and take the picture tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so you remember, so you have it. <laughs> uh, thanks for reining me in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a real book to share. Yes, go for it. I am about halfway through Deep Work by Cal Newport. And it turns out that Brandy bought it. (laughs) You're destroying my book budget, I'm telling you. (laughs) Actually, it's now becoming the food budget. (laughs) We're on to other things. (laughs) I was interested in buying it. I just have no time right now. (laughs) So it'll have to be on my list for later this summer. You're in the middle of Deep Work. It's okay. (laughs) I am. I am. I was so excited as soon as I read just the introduction and then the very first bit of the first chapter. It's like, oh my goodness, he is talking about school A. Oh, wow. And how we all need it. So let's see, I wrote down his definition of deep work. So it starts off with professional activities. So it's not really school A. <laughs> it's kind of school A. Yeah. He's definitely focused in on the producer, creative work. So it's kind of blending the utilitarian and leisure. But when your work is mind work, you need unstructured time. And he's saying that this is healthy for everyone, even if you know you aren't a writer or a you know, there are all kinds of jobs that are obviously, I don't know, intellectual or where where your mind work is the most prominent part of your job. Yeah. And if you aren't having focused, concentrated alone time to really dig in and get some momentum going, then you're not going to be able to do that. Then he goes on and develops it a little bit further and says that we all really need that time, even if that's not our primary job. It's just a healthy mental state to be in. And so he relates it a little bit to, I can only say his name because I heard it on an audiobook. Just set me high. He's the guy who wrote about flow, and I tried starting his book and I couldn't. (laughs) I couldn't. (laughs) But just like I can't really say it. I just said as fast as I could there. But he talks about flow, and so it's flow and deep work are the same. Hmm. The connection I'm really interested in that Cal Newport makes in deep work, and that I have heard. She set me high, says about flow is that it's required for happiness. Hmm. Hmm. This sounds like Aristotle. Uh-huh. So let's see. I have a couple of quotes here. Uh, the connection between deep work and a good life is familiar and widely accepted by craftsmen. The skillful management of attention is the non of the good life. Wow. And flow generates happiness. A deep life is a happy life. Mm. I was expecting just a 
businessy kind of book, you know, kind of like getting things done sort of right. book. But he's connecting it to some bigger, bigger things here. So Ooh. it's kind of cool. I'm excited to crack it open. That's one of my swimming lessons books. There you go. It'll be perfect for that because it still is an easy read. That's what I was hoping. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, should we move on to our topical discussion? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So today we're talking about educational metaphors. What ones do we use? And should we use them? (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) So Misty, we'll start with you because you're at the top of the list. So I think that this is one of the most prominent metaphors that I have actually heard in real life. Some of these other metaphors I see coming up on the lists I've seen on blogs or heard in talks or read in books. But when it comes to just everyday, and not even just homeschool, but mom conversation and talking about our kids' lives or schedules, a common metaphor used for our kids' schooling is that it is their job. Yeah. you guys Have you guys heard that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've said that. well there's a sense in which it's true and then a sense in which it's not the best well and it wasn't until we started having this conversation a few weeks ago about the idea of these metaphors and what impact they could have because let's let's set the stage a little bit we think that the language of these metaphors and using these metaphors can have a huge impact subconsciously and consciously on the way we run our school days. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why it's important to even think about this kind of thing and have a podcast episode about it. And it wasn't until we started having that conversation, and I believe it was Misty who said something about this. It was like, oh, maybe I should rethink that. And that shouldn't be something I would say. You know, but when a kid complains about school, I'm like, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, so Yeah. I've heard it. I've said it. When you say that, you mean it's their duty. Yeah. And so not to be devil's advocate, but what's wrong with that? (laughs) What's wrong with that, Misty? There is a sense in which it's true. If you say that it's their job, as in it's their responsibility right now, then that's fine. But when we take it as a, when we are using it as a metaphor and the primary way that we're considering their school, then I think think it can be used as an excuse for actually keeping school a grind, or at least that's what I've kind of seen in actual conversations, mm-hmm. where because it's my kid's job, then it's not my job to make it fun. Because it's my kid's job, he doesn't have to enjoy it. And so some of that wrapped up in there is how you consider jobs, <laughs> of course. But if the job oh, is something true. that you have <laughs> yeah. to go to and you have to show up, which is, is true, but a job is something that you do for the paycheck and the paycheck is more of the end. And that's probably the way that you think about a job typically. You could talk about whether or not that's good. But the job is for the paycheck, which is for providing for your family, that kind of thing. Because usually I think this is especially used with mothers and sons to try to leverage, like, come on, <laughs> motivate that boy right. and say, you're going to be at a job. Like you got to, you know, I don't know how that's motivating. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> like, then we wonder why they're living in our basements. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's not the work itself that's meaningful. 
It's what it's going to get you, which is our typical understanding of school. Like we do school to get the grades, to get the paperwork, Mm -hmm. to get a job, to get a better paycheck. And it all just kind of is this materialistic circle. And I think that some of that's being perpetuated in our mindset if we continue to use a job mindset with school. Yeah. I really like your idea that it justifies keeping school a grind because I could totally see that. In fact, I've probably done that. I don't remember ever saying school is your job out loud, but I remember thinking it. (laughs) Honestly, it was in that moment, I didn't really know how to solve the problem. So I was justifying the existence of the problem. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we can't solve the problem just with some easy answer. And we do have to work through times that are hard. But I think instead of just saying we have to put our heads down and kind of plow through this, whether we like it or not, we can take that situation and say, well, you know, we can grow through struggling and we're going to struggle on through this. And that's good. It's growing our perseverance. It's growing our patience, you know, us and our kids. We don't just have to say, well, we just got to hunker down and do it like a grind. Yeah, that's true. Okay, next one. Pam. Mm, I put filling a bucket. All right. Yep. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, According to the quote, it's a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to like pull that quote out of my head and having a hard time. It's education is is the lighting of a fire, not the filling of a bucket. So I think the idea behind this metaphor is that we have this empty vessel. It's the metaphor of the empty vessel. And we're just filling it up with, I guess one would assume, facts and information as opposed to necessarily ideas. Yeah. And that that's not a good thing. But I think kind of like job, and I think this is where none of these are black and white. Because kind of like with the metaphor of the job, if used appropriately, I mean, it is their duty. Brandy used that word. And so with the filling of the bucket, there does have to be some bucket filling there. Um, You know, Andrew Pudawa says, you can't get something out of a mind when there's nothing in it. So, you know, (laughs) if reading good books to a child is filling their bucket, you know, so I don't think you can say these are black and white, like this is all bad and this is all good. Because Mm -hmm. can I talk about my next one? Yeah, yeah, I think go they for kind it. of go together. Yeah, they do. So, you know, if we move on to lighting a fire, if, you know, you light this uncontrollable fire, I do think that there needs to be something to temper that. I mean, you could have a passion for something, but if you don't gather knowledge about that passion, then you just run off half cocked and never accomplish anything. <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's hard to say this is bad and this is good. There are nuances to all of these metaphors. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to throw one of mine in with yours because I put the teacher writing on a blank slate, which is very similar to the filling of a bucket. Filling a bucket, writing on a blank slate are kind of the same type of imagery in the sense that the child is passive and the teacher does the work of education. That's true, but I see some nuances there. So, you know, teacher writing on a slate as opposed to teacher writing on a blank slate. Because a blank slate would be something that, you know, a child who doesn't bring any kind of experiences or anything into their education. And we know that that's totally not true. 
So that one even goes deeper than all of this. But anyway, I yeah. digress. I'm sorry. That's kind of. Well, no, I you don't have to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think it's interesting how the different metaphors emphasize different actions and different people's yeah. actions. So a job, the job metaphor emphasizes that this is the action of the student. True. And we usually use that to try to motivate them. And the filling of the bucket and lighting of the fire both are looking at the teacher's action. And so seeing what the teacher's doing is either filling or lighting. Hmm. And once you light the fire, I guess it's kind of outside of like I'm trying to There's a lot a of pressure. Fireplace fire or a wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> A forest fire? Campfire. <laughs> Are we talking about a, a controlled burn or a forest fire? You know, there's a huge difference between right. the two. Right. And there's a lot of pressure in that metaphor for the mom. What, mm. what if I'm yeah. not able to light that fire? You know, what if I'm what if I feel right. much more comfortable and adept at right. or, filling or the even bucket? If there is no fire, then you haven't done it. You know, it's your responsibility right. to make sure there is a fire. And so is it, is it our responsibility? If it doesn't occur, then am I a complete and total failure as a homeschool mom? <laughs> yeah, I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I, I was thinking of a Charlotte Mason quote that it's not exactly going with this, but I liked her idea that it, she, well, she says, um, I know that we can lead a horse to water, but but he won't drink or whatever. But what I complain of is that we don't lead the horse to water. Mm -hmm. And so one of her metaphors for education is leading a horse to water. And I've always liked that because there's so much natural law there. Like the horse is thirsty. He needs water. And most of the time, if you take a horse to water, he will drink and he'll drink the appropriate amount for himself. But he needs to be brought there if he's locked up somewhere where there's no water. So there's the teacher's part and the student's part all in there. And most of us aren't going to, if the horse won't drink, tackle him and, you know, syringe water into his mouth or something. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there are limits to our abilities. If he's refused, if he's being stubborn, if he's more like a donkey, you know, whatever. Anyway, I've loved that image because here are the boundaries around my responsibility. So one of the questions I asked myself, well, did I lead the horse to water when I'm complaining about something? Did I do my part? You know, I can't be responsible for everybody's responses to the water, but did I, did I br even bring them there today? I like right. that. I like that. It's, it's just my responsibility to bring them to the water. Now, we're not going to talk about the fact that the horse doesn't like that kind of water. He wants this He other wants the red cup, not here. the blue cup. <laughs> Where's the lemonade? Yes. <laughs> but even just looking at those, like, so the difference between filling or lighting versus leading. Yeah. And then the horse drinking is the self-activity, which the bucket is passive and a fire does kind of seem Potentially uncontrolled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get I get the imagery there, the burning interest, right? If you gain an interest in something, you know, you mm -hmm. start seeing it mm -hmm. everywhere and you want to go check out books on it. And you so there is that, I don't know, that burning nature of it. But 
when I think of filling or lighting or even the teacher writing on the blank slate, all those things, it gives the impression of a lot more control than I think we actually have. Right. Which might also be why, Pam, some of them make you feel the pressure too. Because if we're communicating, we have that level mm-hmm, of control, mm-hmm. then it really is our fault. We really did lose homeschooling, right? <laughs> if it didn't go well, because we're supposed to be able to fill the bucket or light the fire, whatever metaphor it is that we adopt, which again is why metaphors can be dangerous. Well, and I think the other problem with the fire image, so in the bucket, the student is entirely passive, just sitting there receiving, downloading the data. The fire image can lead us, I think, to overvalue inspiration where it's almost the opposite of the job so we we turn to the Mm. job when it's like okay just do the grind let's just Mm -hmm. get it done you have to show up you have to keep doing this job until it's done the fire is almost the other end of that spectrum where the goal is this driving passion or inspiration and unless you have that you're not really learning hmm or just the fact that you can't, you know, right. um, it, you, you really kind of have to strike a balance between the two because you could go to the daily grind and work a job that you hate, or you could break free of that and say, become an entrepreneur and do something that you love. But that doesn't right. mean you always get to do only the parts that you love. You know, you still have certain responsibilities if you're going to mm-hmm. be successful, put food on the table or whatever the deal is. So you can't you can't just become consumed with whatever right. your passion is and only do that part of it. So you can't just get consumed with ancient Roman history and do that all day every day. You still have to do math over here and right. learn to write and things of that nature. You know, I was actually reading an article. I can't remember where I was. I mean, I feel like I was traveling and kind of came across a magazine article or something, but it was on this family and they're raising this really gifted, like artistically gifted child, who obviously was also probably very high IQ kind of child, but not in math. And it was interesting because it was like her whole family was just serving her. (laughs) She was kind of like the center of the family was the impression I got from this interview that I was reading that she was homeschooled. It sounded like they took a very unschooling approach. And it was basically like, we, we never, I think she said, we never ask her to do math because basically like this creative work she's doing is so important. And it was it was just kind of a strange thing. Like it almost felt like they were worshipful toward their child, who, while an exceptional child, uh, still human. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, well, that's interesting that they're not going to ask her to be fully human. Like she's just gonna specialize. Right. And I just thought, I want, you know, if all of her family went away tomorrow, what what would happen to her? You know, this gentle, sensitive spirit that's an amazing artist who can't do math. And I don't know, like, can she survive out in the real? I don't know. But it, anyway, it reminds me of that, that the, the permission to be so obsessed to the point that it's detrimental to the child's life or to the child's relationships or. Yeah. And we're probably taking that metaphor too far. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, but it's not just, you know, that she wouldn't be able to function in the world. I think there's something I'm thinking of the Stratford Caldecott quote about the giver of being and appreciating all subjects and all things because they are all part of the creator. When we turn our backs on things, in essence, we're turning our back on, on God by saying, oh, you know, we're not going to fool with that. Or or to even let your artist think that art and math are not related. Like, (laughs) Mm. um, right, right. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. All right. Next metaphor. Misty, I think it's your turn again. All right. Well, I was also thinking about the difference between sounds like the same metaphor, but it's swapped. So they're saying Mm -hmm. education is a life and life is education. Mm -hmm. And kind of the difference between Mm -hmm. what each is emphasizing. And I think there are all kinds of different ways to take education is a life. Charlotte Mason said that. And I know that in the different, well, even just when we did our Scully sisters episodes on atmosphere discipline life, mm-hmm. I remember being mm-hmm. struck that the education is a life was bigger than I thought it was, that, that whole idea. Hmm. And I think that when I first heard it, I thought of it as the same as life is education, but it's not really. So I think the life is education is a little bit more of the unschooling everyday experiences educate you, which is true. Right. But you're not going to get a broad, well, you're definitely not going to get a classical education that way. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm thinking of like, uh, and I haven't read this yet, but um, I'm, Louis Lamar's, um, I think it's Education of a Traveling Man or something similar to that. Like I said, I haven't read the book, but I I think about him and Jack London, you know, the whole idea of traveling around and everything, but they read a lot. I mean, I think that was the hallmark of Louis Lamar's education of himself was he was reading a lot, but then he was also out in the world too. So I think that kind of talks to what you're talking about, Misty, in that it wasn't that he was eschewing the reading and saying, I'm going to learn everything I need to learn from the world around me. But a large part of what he was learning was the world around him. And an equally large part were all of the books he was reading. Yeah, know, that just came. Well, to I mind. think if for classical education, you have to be reading because you have to be drawing on the ideas of the past and then applying them too. So that's kind of the life. It's not only an in your head, just you and your books in a lone cell sort of a thing. It is meant to be lived out in life, but life alone, experience alone, isn't adequate. It reminds me of a girl I met in college. I don't remember how we ran into each other, but we were chatting and she asked what I thought of reincarnation. And I think I did not just say, well, it's stupid. (laughs) Good move. She she told me. (laughs) She said, well, I, I... I just believe in reincarnation. You know, in my mind, I'm going like, so you're a Buddhist? Like, what? So I asked why. And she said, well, I just watch people a lot. I sit on like park benches and watch people. And it just seems like some people are so good at life and others are not. Huh. So some people <laughs> have clearly done this before. I was like, huh, well, <laughs> just came up with that on your own, huh? Interesting. So that's, she just was an observer of life and that's what she came up with. Wow. So I think we shouldn't just be left to our own devices. Right. And, and what, com- what happens to come our way in experiences and say, it'll, it'll all work out and be adequate. Okay. Here's a question for you. Okay. So this young lady, uh, wandering around, making observations and living in the world, can't come to a full education without 
reading and drawing on those ideas. But if you have the opposite situation where let's say you have a person who's basically been incarcerated their entire life and all they've done is read these great books, are they going to be able to have a classical education? So if you're only interacting with the ideas of the past, are you any more likely to have a classical education than the person who only interacts with the world and doesn't interact with the ideas of the past? I think that David Hicks would say no, because classical education isn't just knowing, but also doing. Doing. Yeah. Gosh, guys, I am trying to find a quote right here from Charlotte Mason, and I cannot find it. And it's so frustrating. She talks about books and things. And I really thought it was... I took a whole workshop on that one day. Are you serious? On books and things? Yeah. uh, Simple. Yeah, Simply Charlotte Mason has a whole day-long workshop on books and things. Uh Uh-huh, it's cool. Well, it was the idea that we put too much priority upon things. Like, it's like a warning at the end of her thing about... It's basically like why we would read nature lore. How do I put this? Gosh, I wish I could find it. I'm going to find this quote, and I'm going to put it in our show notes. So... This is a really bad paraphrase right now, but you know, we should go and have experiences, right? Children should observe the world around them for their science education. And then at the end of that, she warns against putting too much emphasis on things over books. And it's a really interesting little caveat that she puts at the end. And basically she's saying, I mean, there could be a number of negative effects from insisting that the child discover everything for himself. One of them being pride. And she ties this to something she talks about continually in her books, which is this, we are the people. It's that spirit of democracy, this idea that we know and people before us didn't know. Nobody knows like we know now. But it's just so interesting to me that even in nature study, she was talking about why would you read a book when you really could go out and discover it for yourself? And she ties it to humility and honoring those who have gone before us understanding oh i'm actually not the first person to discover this right that <laughs> there's somebody who went before me i actually did kind of think of nature study as being mostly the child right mostly the act of the child and yet she brings it so even in things that are observable to charlotte mason you still need books and nothing else can be substituted for a book now it doesn't mean no things Because in the context, she was just talking about the importance of things. But it's just interesting to me that that the caveat at the end was a warning against excluding books, even in that context. Well, you know, a couple of things. First of all, it goes back to Misty's reincarnation girl. If you just sit around and make observations, it it could be very easy to come to the wrong conclusions. Good point. And then secondly, it's not a very efficient way to do things. (laughs) Yeah, good point. I mean... It's it's better to marry the two than yeah. try to figure out everything on your own from scratch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Seems like an awfully silly way to learn to not go back and look at yeah, it. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I have read arguments on that, that the child will only know what he experiences for himself. That's what I've heard people say, which, of course, doesn't make any sense if you consider the fact that those words were written down. Right. Reading is a way of experiencing mm-hmm. something. Right. Well, I mean, that yeah. person thought that she could communicate that thought to me through the written word. And yet somehow my child is not human and couldn't possibly learn from something that was written down. But I mean, you do run across those extremes where it's like experience is the only way. Well, so right now in the great tradition, 
uh, I was just reading a section and I didn't even know who this guy was, but Hugh of St. Victor, he has a book that I can't even pronounce the name of his book, but I did put it on my book list. It's about the liberal arts and how to learn and that sort of thing in the early medieval period. And he talks about the way we come to know is by reading and meditation. And I said, okay, that Mm. makes sense. But then when he develops, and this is just an excerpt, but what's excerpted about meditation, when I think meditation, I think me, myself, and I alone (laughs) thinking. But meditation, what he's talking about is more of taking the knowledge you read about and making it your own connecting it to your life, connecting Hmm. it to the world, putting it into practice. So it's not just letting the ideas stay on the page where they don't affect anything, but Hmm. internalizing them enough to do something with them. I like that because it ties the book world and the thought world to the physical world. Like it doesn't let everything stay Gnostic. Mm -hmm. I believe I have had a very similar conversation about this. Oh, is Ashley um, Wollobin? Mm-hmm. Probably. We were talking about Lectio Divina. Um, she came on the podcast, the Your Morning Basket podcast, and we were talking about that. And she was talking about how it wasn't just contemplate, and I, I hope I'm getting this right, but it wasn't, you know, contemplation wasn't just the act of thinking about it. It was the act of putting it into action. That's Right. I listened to that episode not long ago, actually. I know it was in the fall, but I was a bit behind. So anyway, (laughs) but that was fascinating. Didn't she talk about how there was somebody who impacted the tradition and then it became kind of all in your head after that. But before that, the original thing was more embodied. It it was more embodied. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And that was so fascinating to me. And that's really what they're trying to get at with virtue. It's not this internalized state. It, it means that it's affecting all your actions. Right. Next. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Pam, you're next. One that came to my mind, and, and this kind of goes hand in hand with one that's on your list, Brandy. I noticed two of ours actually go together. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So Jennifer Dow, and I can't remember where I heard her talk about this. It might have been in her course on classical education, and it might have been in a private conversation that she and I had together. But she talks about education being like a meal. This is one of the things that she actually teaches and talks about in her course is coming up with your metaphor for education and how are you going to look at education in, in your home. And the example she gives, so it must have been her course, is she talks mm-hmm. about education as a meal. And I can't remember exactly everything that she said about it because it's been like probably three years since I took her course. But to me, just the idea of education being a meal is slightly different than the spreading of the feast Hmm. because I don't make a feast every day, but I make a meal every day. Oh, interesting. And it doesn't have to be fancy schmancy to be good. You can have really good meals that aren't necessarily fancy meals. Hmm. I like the idea of laying out different things. It's something you do on a daily basis. It can be really good and delicious without having to be rich or fancy or include 50 different plates or anything like that. So anyway, that one was one of the metaphors that I really liked. Hmm. Okay. I like Mia more than Faced. (laughs) Because <laughs> feast feast does sound exhausting. 
feast is Christmas, holiday, lots of different dishes. Like usually, like I have actually never put on a feast single-handedly. True. But a meal, you know, I do that several times a day. And some meals are steak and potatoes, and some meals are mac and cheese, and some meals, you know, and it all kind of works out in the end. (laughs) A meal does imply some intention and yeah, enough put together to be complete. Like a meal still isn't just, well, we we had leftovers. I don't know. That happens a lot for meals. In <laughs> <my house. laughs> I know. Pam and I are feeling shamed by you right now, Misty. <laughs> I do leftovers all the time, but then, you know, then it's not like, here's my meal plan. You know, it's more like, okay, and today is just clean out whatever bits and pieces are here. Right. Which the end of school tends to be that way. Like right that's now, true. I'm like, we're, we're finishing Just up our... left. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. But in order to have leftovers, you have to create the, right. the meal to begin with. So. Absolutely. Okay. So I had the feast on mine. So I was going <laughs> to kind of like compare these a little bit because I like the feast, but I see what you're saying. I hadn't considered the idea that I haven't ever thrown a feast by myself either. So I get how... And- I mean, maybe that's encouraging because really as homeschool moms, we don't have, maybe our feast can be potluck. Right. We don't have to be the one doing it all. We have books well, and we have yeah. tutors or, you know, sharing it with co-ops. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I often think just the library, the feast isn't me, right? It's the books. <laughs> I can buy a book even if I can't teach a subject, right? So this kind of reminds me of your post this week. You're going beyond what you're doing. You know, you're talking about the opportunities you're giving your oldest to yeah, have all these opportunities that you yeah. can't give him at home. So those people mm-hmm. are helping you spread the feast. And the feast is, you know, think about it. We do feast sometimes. Sometimes we have meals and, and sometimes during the year we feast. Yeah. And so it's highly appropriate to to spread the feast sometimes, but yeah, it's not what we do every day. I think one of the things I'm seeing in common when we talked about leading the horse to water versus the filling, lighting, writing stuff, and now meals and feasts, what it has in common in the, in the good sense is the idea that there's this partnership. Unless I'm feeding a baby, I prepare the meal. Now, if it's fancy, I call it a feast. Okay, fine. But maybe the best metaphors I'm thinking have my responsibility as the teacher, but then also the child's responsibility as the student. Like it has both of them together rather than an emphasis on one or the other. So here again, we have, this is the teacher's part. We prepared the food. We laid it out. We made sure it was available. You know, we made sure it was nutritious. But then on the other side, they use their spoons and forks, hopefully, right, Misty, hopefully. And so they, and they eat and they digest on their own. And like, we're not controlling all that part of it. So I'm wondering if that's what makes these better metaphors, because with a job, we're saying the emphasis was kind of more on the student. And with filling the bucket, the emphasis was all on the teacher. So maybe having this, both parties having their responsibility right. on their boundaries is part of why it works. Oh, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like that. Because I was just thinking, so maybe that's part of the problem with the job is we're actually putting all of it on the student. Our responsibility in the job metaphor is the employer. Like we told them what to do. Right. Right. Why don't you just do it? <laughs> so now they're just insubordinate. <laughs> <laughs> 
I gave you a job. Do it. Right. Wow, I'm liking I'm liking this a lot. I really am. And yeah, me too. You know, I'm so I'm homeschool planning. So I'm at the best part of the homeschool year where we aren't doing anything, and I have Woo-hoo! book stacks. Mm. And I'm looking at the book stacks, thinking this is a feast. You know, when you look at the big yeah. picture and you see all the books in the piles, and especially you know, even just seeing all the different school books over the years and looking at it, not just in this year even, but over the course of years, you know, going from the preschoolers pile to the high schoolers pile. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. But then in a single homeschool day, not all of those things are ever going to happen in one day. Right. That's a really good point, because when I think of something like nutrition, which is what I mean, I don't sit around thinking about nutrition all the time. But I mean, one of the reasons why we eat is because it's it's true. I know. (laughs) Contrary to popular belief. (laughs) But, you know, so we eat meals to nourish the body, right? Like that's one of the reasons why we do it. But it's not like we're literally, hey, let's get all the nutrients and existence into this one meal, right? Like we know that you do it over the course of a day or a week. And that's good enough, right? Like Mm -hmm. people will grow if you feed them a broad enough variety of foods, right? So to me, that's the same kind of thing. You're right. We don't have to touch on every subject every day. We don't have to read every book every day. In fact, if we did, I'm thinking about like my bookcases. They're so wonderful. And I can grab one or in my case, 30 books (laughs) off the shelf. But if there was an earthquake and my books all fell on me, I might die, right? (laughs) Like, so we could do that to our kids. I'm wondering if that's where some of the job thing comes into. It's the presentation. Like I just dumped all this stuff on you. I just filled your bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Now carry it up the hill. (laughs) (sighs) All right. um, Next one. I feel like my next one parallels with one that you have, Pam. So I had a journey versus a destination and you had a path, Mm -hmm. which I think is similar. I mean, I know they're not exactly the same thing. It's an ongoing process. It's not something we arrive at. And though, well, yeah, in high school, I have to consider transcripts and there is a stopping point. First of all, in homeschooling, my stopping point may or may not be graduation, depending on what's best for my kids, right? Well, an education should never have a destination. Exactly. That's what I was thinking is that, yeah, even if we do get all the way all 12 years with all of our kids, it's not like they've arrived and now they're fully educated. It's not over. Now you stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. As much as they like to think that. So how is the path different? I like to think of it as I can lay things out for them and they're going to travel along it. But it's, I mean, yeah, I think it comes back to journey and destination. A path is not a town. You know, you're going to continue. Right. But sometimes I think we get, we feel like there's only one path. Like if we're going to get from point A to point B, we must travel this path, you know? And so that, in that way, it can be a negative thing. Right. And, you know, I can see positives and negatives to a prescribed path. To some extent, that's what a curriculum is, right? Right. It means way. Oh, yeah. You know, but then do we get on a path that we're not supposed to be on? Do we get on the wrong path? Do we get on a rabbit trail? <laughs> so is that a positive thing or a negative thing? Depends. Did you light a fire while you were there? Because <laughs> <laughs> if so, check that box, girl. 
<laughs> so I don't know. I, I just put path because it's one that I've heard so many times, but I don't know if it's positive or negative or if it could if it could be both. So it, looking at our criteria that we've kind of developed as we've gone along, is a path something that both parties, the student and the teacher would have a part in? Or is it something? I guess maybe it's whether or not you're functioning as a trail guide. Like maybe we just have to fill it out a little bit. Are we leaving the child completely in solitude? Because, I mean, there is a sense in which at the end of the day, education is a solitary endeavor in the sense that it's a single mind, right? It's a, it's a singular noun that's doing the learning. But I mean, it's always been done collectively in some way, whether it's in the home or in a school or what, like it's de- learning's done in community. So my thought is with both journey and path, there is a sense where it could be too solitary, maybe. I think both of those probably are less effective metaphors than something like the feast and the meal and the, the life or leading the horse to water, all those. But I still think they give us the perspective of it being an ongoing process and an unfinished business, which I think is helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Misty, on yours, I see you have another here. Okay. This is kind of a random. I felt like I needed at least three. You guys all had more. <laughs> <laughs> and And this was just a random one that I actually heard in real life from an acquaintance who wasn't homeschooling at the time. But we were just talking about our kids and what they were doing and about how crazy it was that our oldest were going to be going into high school. And she made the offhanded... Well, I said that one of the things that I liked most about homeschooling was that my kids didn't have to waste time with homework. (laughs) (laughs) Because most homework was just busy work and a waste of time. And maybe she got a little defensive. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But she said that she figures that her daughter's schoolwork was her hobby. How sad. That's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how much of a feast your schoolwork is. You need you need more. Hobby. It's going to have to be some really schooling schoolwork to be a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Well... I think even if it was, it doesn't count as your child's own self-activity of choosing and pursuing a hobby on their own that's apart from assigned schoolwork. That's true. It takes the place of hobbies, really, because hobbies are how you choose to spend your free time. Right. I mean, that's really the reality of a lot of students' lives with homework is that between homework and the organized activities that kids are in with sports or whatever, they don't have any time for a hobby. And so I think that's kind of what she was getting at, is that it was okay because the home, the school was her daughter's hobby. It I, I think she needs yeah. to reevaluate the true meaning of the word hobby. Mm-hmm. Like if her child got really excited about something at school and then came home and wanted to check out a book at the library on it and spend time reading on it in private for just his own sake, I would count that as a hobby. Right. But because the child knows it. Right. Yeah. Not because it wasn't assigned. Yeah. If you get in trouble for not doing it, it's not a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) It's a good criteria. Right there. So I don't think it's a bad metaphor. Education is a hobby in the sense of 
like I've said before, that's why I keep short school hours is because I want my kids to have hobbies. And some of those hobbies do involve school type activities like reading or nature study or whatever. But you know what I mean? Right. So I could see using that as a metaphor to kind of get at a school approach to learning. Yeah. I think the problem here was actually that she was speaking literally and not metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it wasn't actually a metaphor. It was just, it was literal. just sad. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Are we going to get to all of the list? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Up? I, I'm looking at the clock. I do have 15 minutes left, so we're okay. I haven't decided if mine's really a metaphor or not, but I do feel like there's this whole equation in our culture of what happens inside of a classroom equals education. That's a metaphor to break through. Education needs to be defined completely independently of the classroom so that the classroom can be evaluated as to whether or not education is taking place there. Can you tell I just finished reading The Graves of Academe? Because (laughs) (laughs) because pretty much the whole book is saying what happens in the average American classroom is mostly not education in nature. So we do see this, right? Especially with parents that are pulling kids from public school. They think they have to recreate the classroom in their home and that's a lot of pressure on them. And sometimes they crash and burn. And the problem was that education was defined as what happens in the typical or stereotypical classroom. I don't know if it's exactly a metaphor, but I feel like it is an image that's in our minds that we have to break through And I think some of us have a harder time letting it go, either because maybe we taught in a classroom or because our kids were actually in a school. And so our early experiences as a parent of a child being educated were in a classroom. Anyway, it's not that classrooms, I think, are bad. It's just that when that is our image of education, then we're misdefining it because a classroom may or may not be helpful for education. It's maybe an image or a category that doesn't allow for you know, more, more deep metaphors. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. I think, I think you're right. So it's, this is more like of a mind block that we have to get rid of. Even if we reinstitute something like a classroom at a co-op or whatever, but just having our education defined first, I think is what would help us. Yeah. Okay. So then I think we can, we got through all of our, <laughs> all of our metaphors. Right. There we go. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So What should we leave everybody with, guys? How should we wrap this up? I think we can identify negative metaphors that we're carrying with us. Like, I think this is a great summer activity, really, to evaluate the picture in our heads and ask ourselves whether or not that's the picture we even want to be defining what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, And think about how you're applying metaphors that you have. So if you're using the feast metaphor or the job metaphor, there are elements that are true that we're trying to get out when we use them, but are we going too far or in the wrong direction with the metaphor? Do we need maybe a little bit, you know, more than one so we can branch out? How are we applying the metaphors and are we doing that in ways that help or hold us back? Yeah. And I think a lot of this language of metaphors that come up when we use these metaphors, the language that comes up when we use these metaphors really can affect us in ways that until we stop and think about it, we don't realize that how they're right. negatively affecting our homeschools. And so I think it's important to be aware of these so that we can contemplate how they would be negatively affecting 
Mm -hmm. the work we're doing in our home. I like that. I guess it's like anything else when we just let it all kind of lay under the surface and not analyzed, then the negatives and the positives, I mean, both can happen. But like if we bring it to the surface and pay attention to it and examine it, then we can choose to take the good, but discard the bad, you know? So like the job thing, there are a couple positive things about the job thing, like a sense of duty or whatever, but unexamined, then we get all of the whole, like just grin and bear it. And it can be intolerable for long periods of time. I mean, like all these untrue things. So maybe it's just taking what's kind of in our subconscious and bringing it up to the level where we think about it, be mindful of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Wow. I think we actually have like a clean ending or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it'll make up for our last recording, right? I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys. This has been fun. Yeah. Yep. Talk to you guys later. All right. Sounds good. Bye. That's it for today. And that's not just it for today. That's it for season five. Thanks again for being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. If you want to check out all the available bonuses, including the additional hours of recording discussing Werner Jaeger's book Paideia, make sure you join the Scalay Sistership. Get the details at scalaysisters.com slash join. Also, remember to mark your calendar for the Scalay Sisters online retreat this fall. As you know, Cindy Rollins will be joining us. We're very excited about that. The date is Saturday, September 15th. We encourage you to get together with Scalay Sisters in your local area. That was so much fun last year. Also, we hope to have a live meetup for Sistership members in the Chattanooga area. So watch for announcements about that. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. You need to get your cursor out of my space. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't type if you got your, cur- my, your cursor in my space. Oh, really? Yeah. If we're both oh. like in the exact same spot. Yeah. I did not know that. I can start using this as a weapon. (laughs) Every week in my homeschool is testing. (laughs) It's all about who's being tested. Don't don't you mean a trial? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Then I then I think It's gonna be fine. I'm so sorry. She's over forty now. She keeps falling. <laughs> it's so. Tr- it's. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I promise to cut that out. Oh man. <laughs> the only thing worse than making a mistake is doing it twice. <laughs>